0: I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. the music of Steve Barton, who is my guest today on the program, let me tell you a little bit about Steve Barton. Steve Barton was born in Los Angeles in the late 50s to two actor parents. How L.A. is that? Both his father and his mother had extensive television credits to their names. His dad was on the streets of San Francisco, Barnaby Jones, and Dragnet, while his mom was on Gunsmoke, Perry Mason, and Leave it to Beaver. What effect did being raised in an artistic household have on the young Steve Barton? Well, let's just say it was an effective one. By age 11, Steve had a band called The Present Tense, and they went into the studio with Mike Kerb, who by that point was already a legendary producer. Mike Kerb is the guy who launched the careers of Electric Flag featuring Mike Bloomfield and the Stone Ponies that featured Linda Ronstadt. After enjoying success in the music industry as a producer, a songwriter, and an executive, Mike Curb did what anyone would do after such a clear domination of their field. He went into politics. In 1979, the Georgia-born Curb became the lieutenant governor of California under Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown went on to date Linda Ronstadt. The lesson here? Well, if you know people who know people... You'll get to know the people that they know. And then, boom, you're a politician dating a pop star. It happens. But back to our story. By 14, Steve Barton had inked a publishing deal with ABC Dunhill Music. By way of contrast, when I was 14, I was listening to Motley Crue and trying to figure out how to get the Playboy channel for free using duct tape and a lighter. Now, lest you think the hero of our story is peaking early, he wasn't. After high school, Steve Barton played guitar for Ella Woods on a USO tour of Germany. And in 1978, he joined a Beatles cover band and toured Japan, playing the role of George Harrison at first, and then graduating to John Lennon. The drummer of that band in the Ringo role was a guy named Dave Sheff. Dave Sheff will become important to our story in about four seconds. In 1979, Barton and Chef returned to LA and recruited bassist Larry Decker and guitar player Robert Darlington, and Translator was born. Although known as an LA outfit at first, Translator wisely relocated to San Francisco, where they established an immediate following. They signed with Howie Klein's 415 Records, which was the soon to be home for bands like Wire Train and Until December. Translator's Everywhere That I'm Not was the most requested song on San Francisco's KUSF for about six months, and every show they played was a packed affair. Inspired by everyone from the Beatles to the Birds to Cream, Translator's perfect blend of jangle and murk brings to mind for me early REM and maybe the first Echo and the Bunnyman album. Now, 415 Records had a national distribution deal with Columbia, so word about Translator. Spread fast. On their first tour of the United States, where they were headliners, the band got to New York to play the Ritz and they found that the show was sold out. It was then that they knew Translator had arrived. At that time, we used to call bands like REM and Translator college rock bands, and Translator were one of the most popular college rock bands around. And they put out four albums in quick succession 1982's Heartbeats and Triggers. 1983's No Time Like Now, their 1985 self-titled effort, and 1986's fabulous Evening of the Harvest. After a nearly 30-year recording hiatus, the band showed up in 2012 with the terrific album called Big Green Lawn. Then, out of nowhere, in 2016, they showed up with Carriage of Days, which, for my money, remains one of their best. Aside from his work with Translator, Steve Barton is a prolific songwriter. He's put out three albums with a band called The Oblivion Click with Robbie Rist and Derek Anderson, and he's released a series of fantastic solo albums. As a matter of fact, he's here today to talk to me about his new one. It's called Tall Tales and Alibis, and it's a staggering 37-song collection. It's a triple album. If you buy it digitally, you'd never know that. You would just say... Wow, 37 songs. But if you're from my generation, you would go, oh, that's a triple album, which it is. Tall Tales and Alibis is an unreasonably brilliant collection. And what I love about it is it features Steve Barton doing all the things that he does best plaintive ballads, jangly pop songs, uh, slow and aching, uh, like Nick Drake type folk songs. It's a really, really beautiful, incredibly moving, and altogether soul-stirring collection of songs I would recommend that you get your hands on it immediately I really enjoyed this conversation with Steve he's genial, he's warm, he's funny, he's self-deprecating and utterly cool We talk about translator, we talk about parents and we talk about Brandy Carlisle Enjoy this conversation right here on stereo embers the podcast Someone who looked a lot like I remember you I, I
1: heard your voice I-, I, I moved to Portland Oregon from uh, from Los Angeles and about two years ago and but before I moved I'd recorded an album where I put a, a band together for the record um, like, yeah, I'll put this out and then moved and then a lot of craziness with moving and once I got up here and got my little studio in my house so all these songs started coming out and I suddenly had oh this is another album's worth of songs oh I guess I'll put one album out then this one and then suddenly a bunch more songs came out and they were um, I realized I didn't want to wait like you know a year between albums or whatever it is you know and I started thinking, what can I do? Because they were different. One was with, with a band, and one was sort of more um I don't know, stripped down but more up tempo kind of songs. And then the other was a really kind of quiet record on um, much darker. And I thought I had this one idea of putting out three albums on the same day or some doing some some way to, to do it that was a little different. And um just sort of the light bulb went off one day where it was like, wait a minute, let me put out a triple album. it, yeah, okay. You know, it's like, you know, it's a weird time anyway with records, you know? And so you can kind of do whatever you want. So I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out a triple album. And that's sort of the broad strokes where it came from. And then it sort of, um, not by design, but it, it works as a, for me anyway, as a, it kind of tells a little, I don't know if it tells a story, but it, but it works as a piece that had these three albums connected together. So that that's sort of in the broad strokes where it came from.
0: It's, uh, I think of it as a, you know, like a museum piece, like it's a triptych. I mean, it, it, every part yeah. belongs to the piece.
1: I, you know, it's interesting that you'd say that because, um, you know, Triangles are like that, you know, you take one piece off and it, it, the whole thing falls apart and uh, trios are a special thing in music. And so it's it's, it's interesting that the, the three is, is an important part
0: of it all. When you say putting an album out, it doesn't mean the same thing that it used to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so you you have some freedom where you can put out three albums at once. What the hell? Clear the decks. Exactly. Uh, right? When Human Touch and Lucky Town came out, Um, I remember that being such a weird thing and use your illusion one and two came out in the same year like almost practically in the same month almost and it was like such a weird thing to have an an artist put out two albums but here you are putting out three it's a different time are you aware of how that's changed and did that encourage you or did that did you kind of go like oh I I guess anything goes now
1: it was sort of an anything it was sort of a combination of anything goes and well I've got all this music and I just don't want to wait And, um, you know, we, we, you don't have to wait these days, you know, you could literally, you know, upload them and they're all out that day anyway, but, um, I I didn't want to wait. And so I did put it all together and, you know, they're really nicely mastered and I, I got a, you know, CDs made, uh, for, um, they will be, you know, for sale through, um, CD baby and through my website, but also, to sell it shows because I realized that, you know, they, you know, people are going into a store to buy CDs and I think a lot are, but, um, you know, I get it at the time, like you said, times have changed. And, but for me, I still wanted to just make a, uh, make an album and I, I do like having the physical album. So I did get some CDs made as well as, you know, of course, online and it'll be streaming.
0: Tell me why you didn't want to wait. I tend
1: to write a lot of songs. I mean, frankly, I've got about five or six that I think are pretty damn close to to being finished. You know, to follow this up um, already, and I just didn't want to have a bunch of songs piled up for you know four years or something, and then suddenly they're, they're coming out. I like the idea of the immediacy of here's all these songs. Like I loved, I like records where it's like um. A moment in time, uh, you know, where it's, it's, it really captures, well, this is where this band or this artist was at, and they made this record. You know, if it was a Beatle record, well, River Soul is a particular thing, and it's different than Revolver, was, you know, or that kind of thing, or the new Brandy Carlyle record that's coming out next month, you know, captures, uh, from what I hear anyway, captures sort of, and this is where we're at during this time of making this record. And I wanted to just, I wanted to capture that.
0: I'm really interested in the idea that you, um, you moved and you moved to Portland and suddenly yeah. it creatively, it seemed to be the geographical change seemed to be a good thing for you artistically. It was incredible.
1: I, I didn't expect that either. Um, I don't know if it was, I mean, I had the freedom and the space to, to write in at my old place too, but, and I did, but something happened. I, I don't know, um, I I can't really explain it, but just all this, all this music started coming out. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it was really good. And um, so I I felt really, really happy about that.
0: Some people who listen to the show are musicians, artists. um, And it's really interesting, you know, a piece of information that they can hear of if you change your scenery, if you change where you are, um, that could be the impetus to... Light the creative fire. Did you see that coming or did that surprise you?
1: It it surprised me, but now that we're talking about it, it's not the first thing that happened to me. (laughs) Excuse me, because with my band Translator, you know, we started in in Los Angeles and, you know, did okay there. And I think we made some really interesting music, but didn't sort of find our success, as it were, till we moved to San Francisco. You know, so it was, again, it was a change of scene. It's a, maybe somehow that entered into it, I'm sure it did. And, you know, Portland is, um, you know, it, it's it's different here than than L.A. And the, the house that I have here is, it's almost, it's not in the country, but it feels like it to me. There's so many trees all over the place, but there are anywhere you go here. And um, it, it it's just a different vibe and a different thing. It's, I don't know, it's, it's unlocked something inside me
0: in a good way. So was it sort of like one of those things where you're like, wow, I'm I'm like on a hot streak. I, I wonder how long this is gonna go. <laughs> it just kept going. Well,
1: sort of. I mean um, <clears throat> sort of. But I would just sort of uh, like like I remember there was some, some at the house that we bought here there's some old plants that were outside that were digging up and there was this rose bush that um like a ratty old climbing rose bush and he said we should just take that out and so um I think we said oh, yeah we're tearing out the roses and I went, Oh that sounds like a song. You know, I'm tearing out the roses and then I walked over the piano and literally just wrote and the the song on the record called Tearing Out the Roses, which is like a almost like a countryish kind of piano song and um it just came out in like, like okay, I, I got to stop being in the garden for a minute, and it just like wrote itself. And that happened a lot with this record. With these songs, I get an idea, and it's just like, well, I'm just going to keep with this and, and finish it up. I mean, yeah, some songs take longer, but but a lot of them were almost, you know, like within an hour they'd be done. It was it was it was pretty remarkable. Although lyrically, that's where I stay up at night, going, hmm. Oh, wait, should it be that or this? Oh, wait a minute. Should it be a comma there or not? You know, it's um, that's what, what, what keeps me awake is, is fine-tuning the lyrics. And it does keep me awake.
0: Have you, have you had a situation in your career where you've hit the wall, where you had... Uh, I mean, a lot of people think that writer's block is the inability to write, but it's, it's really the inability to write what you want to write. And it's stuff that you don't think is up to par Um, did you go through a period of time ever where you just weren't producing what you wanted to produce?
1: Yeah. And I kind of, I mean, even now, you know, for me anyway, I'll write songs and there will be some, I'll think that's great. And I'll listen in the morning and go, I'm thinking a piece of junk. And I call those, uh, like I always call them cobweb clearing songs where they clear something out in your, you know, in your head. And then the real song can come out. but, but, I know when when Translator uh, broke up or went on hiatus um, in like '87 or so. Um, we've, we've you know played since then and made a couple of records since then and still play from time to time. But um, I wrote a bunch of songs and recorded them, and I, I've got the demos of those songs. And some of them were okay. Some of them were not very good. And I don't know if I was. Uh, a little shell shocked from, you know, landing on Earth after the translator thing, or, you know, I don't know. But they they weren't that great, and I thought, and some of them were okay. Some of them were okay. But it was, I had to kind of settle in to find out what you know, my my sort of solo songs were going to be, in a way. I'm, this is some, it's something I don't feel hard to talk about. You know, I don't know exactly, but just, I mean, you asked to so, sort of that and yeah, there'd be in terms of not being able to write or having writers blocked that doesn't really uh, happen to me. But what does happen is songs that aren't very good sometimes will, will come out, and I think it's it's kind of the other side of the same thing in a way because I don't, I try not to anyway you know, sit down and force myself to um, write a song or you know, go, God, I gotta write a song that's as good as you know something on some Nick Cave record or something, it's like, I, I try to, I, and I do tell myself sometimes this, little secret, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. I'll say, just do what you do. You know, if I find myself trying too hard to go, wow, it sounds like this. Um, you know, I want it to be some sort of, uh, that I would write. So I, I don't know. It's hard to talk about this stuff, but it that that's what I... What i what I strive for anyway.
0: And are there moments where you feel you're better at doing what you do uh more than others? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those those are the days where you go, What did I eat for breakfast? I gotta eat that again.
1: Totally. Yeah, you know, there's the days <laughs> where it's like,
0: Wow, that happened.
1: And <laughs> I'm really happy it happened. <laughs> you know.
0: It's funny, you, you, you bring something up about moving to Portland, and there's been a mass exodus from San Francisco um, and from L.A. Um, of people who, who really um, have had to leave, because those have become really expensive areas. They were always expensive. They've become almost untenable yeah. for an artist. And I think you know, the mm-hmm. ghost ship tragedy of Oakland of last year right. uh, really came from the fact that those people couldn't afford to not live together. Um, you know, they were, they were artists who, who had a collective and financially it was feasible. Um, but were they all living on their own? They couldn't, they couldn't do that. And and, and by the way, I know, I know Portland is not cheap. Um, but you, but you, you moved to Portland and you're not the only one. I know the late Ralph Carney, um, had moved there as well. He, he had voiced on Facebook. He had felt kind of forced out of San Francisco. Um, are you running into a lot of artists who are who have have left their their previous um, uh, locations to end up in Portland? Um, most people
1: who I've met here, I mean, very few people were born here that I've met. Um, you know, everybody comes from somewhere else. Not everybody, but a lot of people come from somewhere else, um, and. I think that's true everywhere. I mean, people are always moving around. You know, you know. I'm sure of being born in the city that you live in. You come from somewhere else, and um, yeah, but I, you know, I just find that the people here, um, you know, have definitely come from other places. But there's a there's a, a feeling of there's a good vibe here. Statistically speaking, like when you go to a show I, I noticed this um, I did a show at a really cool place called The Secret Society here when, when we first when we first moved up here this was a couple of years ago and um, it was a I was playing solo acoustic and I did a bunch of songs and one of them was um, a song called She is the Girl which is on the new album and um, it's a quiet almost like a little bluesy kind of song, but really kind of quiet. I barely play the guitar. And I noticed, wow, no one's talking. And, and it was, it, the place was pretty full. And it was like, wow, everyone's listening. And it reminded me a lot of um, when we were to San Francisco in, in 1980. You know, just people want to hear music, to, to hear the music, to really be into it and um i liked that i've been to shows where people talk too but it was it was it was a nice moment it was an, an encouraging moment to
0: me so there there is a community of people who who respect the artist enough not to not to chat during during a show absolutely
1: i mean yes there are people who talk a lot you know I, i've seen shows where it's like please people shut up you know if you're standing too near the bar but that's inevitable you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: um I'm curious, I've always wondered, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and I, I've always wondered, like, after Translator um, broke up, and, and again, my just to tell you, my entry point into your band, I was a DJ at uh, KBHS in Concord, which was a metal oh. station, and uh, I somehow, uh, Howie Klein sent me the... Um, the, uh, compilation, the translator compilation, it's sort of a, a kind of a posthumous yeah. consulate. Right. Um, I think, uh, you guys had a cover of today on there and, um,
1: yeah. Yes. Right.
0: It's a great record. And that was my entry point mm-hmm. into you guys. Um, so you had sort of already cool. kind of come and gone, but what was your plan? Like when, when translator broke up, did you have a, a specific idea of what would come next for you? No, no,
1: and, and never had a plan. Um, you know, with, with, I know with Translator, it was just like one, you know, one put in front of the other and, you know, see where it leads. And, um, it's, it's sort of been the same with, with my solo thing is, um, you know, I just take it one step at a time. And I, when I look back on the solo records I've made, I mean, the first one was called The Boy Who Ordered a Bike Around the World, which was, um, I'd moved back to LA from San Francisco after Translator broke up. And, um. Got together with my friend Marvin Etzioni, who he was one of the founders of the great band Lone Justice, and we're, we're great friends, and he produced this record, it's a really, really cool record, and, you know, then the next one, I put a little band together for it, and uh, made a couple of records with those people, and um, my dad died, and I moved away from that band, and just to, that, that like, screwed everything up, and like, whoa, or shook everything up, and uh, made a record called Projector, which was all about, songs all about my, dealing with the grief of losing my dad, and that was the last record I put out, and I didn't, you know, that was five years ago or something, I didn't think it would be that long, and then um, all these other songs came, and and so so now this record's here, and I've already started thinking about the next one, so it's, it's always just one foot after the
0: other for me, You're a great uh, improviser with, (laughs) with plans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, I've never,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, do you find that you're like that in in the rest of your life too away from your artistic career? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, I was really moved by the relationship with your, your father. I, I have a similar one with my dad. My dad's, uh, is 81, and, and, uh, you know, you start thinking about mortality, and, and you start thinking about these things, and, and I was really moved by, by what your father had said to you about, you know, just have fun in, in your life. Do do you think about that a lot? When you get, do you remind yourself when you're, when you're kind of grinding, or maybe you're not having fun, do you remind yourself of that adage?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean,
0: uh, you
1: know, my dad was, was, uh, was like that was always, always you know, just that wall. Like I'd play, play him some new songs and he'd go why do they all have to be so serious <laughs> you know, <he'd>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it might you know, I have a song on the new record called I Only Want to Be Your Clown which you know I think maybe that comes from that or something um, and so yeah no my, my dad he was 88 when he died and he was he was, um, he was like a clown and he was really cool. My mom was really cool too, and she had died about ten years after that.
0: Well, let's let's ask your dad's question to you. Why why are the songs so serious? Like, did did you think about that?
1: Well, um, yeah, I don't even think they are. Sometimes, I mean, I, I would think that that's a serious song. I mean, some of the early translator stuff is really, you know, you know, in, intense and brooding, and um, and I loved that and. Um, but I I I hear the humor in it too. You know, I, I think some of it's uh there's a song there's a translator song called Favorite Drug that's on the first translator album. Oh yeah. Um where I said the lyric goes um it's all talking about how everything's all fucked up and, you know, and, uh, and confusion and I am sorry about the same stuff. It's just like that I'm not comparing myself to John Lennon, but you know, when he said, No, it's the same rubbish, you know. And that's kind of you know, <laughs> I write the same stuff. Just a little differently. But um there's a line where it goes something like uh a twist on the Rolling Stones on you can't always get what you want, where it goes you can't always get what you need, but if you try sometimes you get what you want. And I thought that's I thought it was funny, you know, to just switch it around like that. Um but I guess it could be seen as a little bleak. Um so you know, I I, I find this stuff humorous. <laughs>
0: do you Do you find that you're attracted to the same themes that you were when you were starting off in translator or has your has your uh, you know your viewpoint expanded I think it's probably
1: expanded I think that's a really good question i think that's it's expanded and um you know I noticed when I was looking at all the lyrics for this new record um and I think somebody pointed out to me uh, there's a lot of songs that mention rain and shadows and um like secrets and uh, certain themes that that come up a lot. And I just think that's interesting. I don't know why that is.
0: I'm I'm a writer too. And I, and I, I found that when I look back at my early work, I'm using a lot of the same images from 20, 30 years ago that I'm using now. A lot of sharks... A lot of a lot of oceans, a lot of uh, drownings. Um, but my, my viewpoint has expanded. So I'm even though I'm using those as the instruments, I think I'm using them wiser. Uh, I mean, it, the tools are the same and the symbols are the same, but I think I'm doing a better job. At least I hope so, um, of, of well, utilizing them.
1: That's how I, I I agree. I, I I I I'm in I'm in your camp with that. You know, I think um, uh, I'm running a lot of things about the same themes in, in some ways, unless I'm writing it. Oh, I'm going to write this song about this. Um, but in my, like there's a song called, one of my favorite songs on this new record is called little rule breaker. Mm. And yeah, I really like the, the words to it. And, um, and, and, and the, just the whole sound of it. It's a big kind of production. And, um, uh, I think just some cool little turns of phrase and, um, there's, there's one line that goes, the, the bridge part the Middle eight goes, um, it says, uh, you swim me through like water, you swim me through like water, um, as I, I don't know the line right now, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was supposed to be, you swim through me like water, but when I was recording it, I missed saying it, as you swim me through like water, and I told a friend of mine that, she said, oh, that's a better line. Mm. So God, you're right, and so you know I like these little happy accidents too.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because like even though you're still using shadows and rain, the shadows are maybe they're darker and more purposeful, and the rain it has more intensity. Even though they're the same the same sort of iconography that you always used, um, you use them to greater or more or, or deeper yeah. effect. I
1: think so, and also my, like my older songs, like I'll always sing "Everywhere That I'm Not." shows um and i love singing it and it's taken on different meaning you know all these years later and it did after my dad died the first time i sang it, it was like "Whoa, song means something different all of a sudden and it always does and now you know i'm older and you know it's um it, it just even the old songs take on different kind of new meanings even with those same words you know um like translator just did a a few shows we did some shows with the Long Riders in uh, LA and San Francisco yeah and um, it was great to sing those songs again I mean all we did was the, you know our songs from our catalog and I was realizing wow some of these songs are 30 years old and it's like it just felt brand new and you know you approach it with a, kind of a new experiences behind it because we are you know some of our experience, you know, after all, and so it's it it was um, uh, it, it was really cool to revisit all those songs with those, but you know, we only do the shows with the four original members, you know, so it's it's always a,
0: always a blast. I've uh, I've found that my favorite songs from when I was seventeen or eighteen, when I listen to them now, they have a different meaning. They have a different resonance. Um, I understand them better, or they change because I've changed, um, which, you know, which is good. Um, you know, you, you get that sort of editorial distance. So, you know, you've always, you've always done such cool covers, whether it was, you know, Dandelion or Today, or you just always do such cool covers. And I wonder if the songs that you love, have you noticed also from other artists, have you also noticed that they have changed their meaning for you as well as you've gotten older?
1: Oh, Absolutely. I mean, in fact, um, I played like like you said. I did. I do a cover of Dandelion on this record. And it, we kind of purposely didn't want. I don't like to do covers that just sound like the original, because then it's, I'll just listen to the original. Um, and so, you know, we made this more like a, um, I don't know, Stones in the '70s or a, Stones is played by T Rex or something. Version it's a little a little different and slower, um, and, and you know there's a a recording I've I've been working on here at home that I will probably put out at some point uh, of uh, she loves you of the Beatles song um, a really slow version and you hear the lyrics in a different way when it's like slowed down and uh, and it, it, it's interesting. But yeah, I, I find that um, like songs that I love uh, from a band will, you know, that I've loved for many, many years. Sometimes you'll hear it and you'll go, "Wow!" It just affects you like a brand new song. That happens with Dylan songs for me a lot. Um, and um, yeah, absolutely. And with my songs too. Sometimes the I'll hear them and I'll go, "Whoa!" Like, they just hit you differently you now. Uh, After you've been through a bunch of stuff, I'm not asking the question
0: too well. <laughs> no, no, you are, and, and and it's you really are, and it, it's it's also kind of one of the cool things about getting older is that, you know, I was the other night I was flipping through the channels and American Werewolf in London was on, which is one of my all time favorite yeah. movies, and I totally got something different out of that movie than than I you know did in repeat viewings when I was 20, 30, yep. right? It's a totally yep. different film for me. After hours, I showed to a friend of mine, and I totally took it in a different way um you know books do the same thing and that's actually kind of one of the pleasures yeah. right of getting older you, you those textures reveal themselves to you in a totally different way well i mean if you think
1: about people who have you know studied painting and stuff they'll, they'll look at things that were painted in you know the 1600s you know and study them they see something different in them you know and that can be the same with music or people listen to you know beethoven and break it apart and It affects them now in a certain way. And there's no reason why, you know, rock and roll shouldn't do the same thing. And uh, um, I still love it. And it still gives me that rush and that thrill and I hear something new. And, um, you know, and it can be just a one, four, five blues song, but it, it it can just slay you or it can be, you know, some incredible like I, I loved um, the skeleton uh, skeleton tree the Nick Cave record that came out of I me mean, under horrible circumstances you know, yeah. his son died but it's an it's an incredible astounding record i mean the the drummer on it's almost like orchestrated drums just, I don't know if he just played the backbeat ever and it's incredibly beautiful and soulful and dark and deep and i like that um, but I also like, uh, you know, I remember not long ago dancing around the house to we put Thriller on from the, from the vinyl and just blasted it. And it was just like incredible. Listen to the whole album, Side One, Side Two. Um, an incredible sounding record that is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you take those some of those things, kind of things for granted, too. Like, oh, Michael Jackson records. And you listen to it now, it's like, Jesus Christ, an incredible record.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I also wonder if if when we see things differently after, you know, you spend your life with the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan, and when you listen to Blood on the Tracks, you know, at, at 50 or at 60, um, it's different, like we said, than when you were 19. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the thing that you are also recognizing is, something new about yourself?
1: I think probably. Because um, again, you have had all these experiences and uh, you know, Blood on the Tracks is a perfect example. Um, I mean, I love so many Bob Dylan records and I always end up coming back to Blood on the Tracks. If I had to pick one, which I thank God don't have to, but if I did, I think it would probably be Blood on the Tracks. Um, just song for song there's you know something happened there and um, you know the start off with the blue and shelter on the storm it's like okay I think, I think okay we can just stop now
0: you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know it's just a, it's such an incredible piece of work um, that said I put on time out of mind I read an article on something, somebody mentioned "Time Out of Mind" that that Dylan album, and I thought, oh, so I, I found my copy of it, and I hadn't heard it in years, and put it on. It blew me away. Just sounded you could you could just hear them play. It was like you were sitting in a room with the band, which I love that sound, where it just sounds like it's just happening in front of you. And um, and I hadn't heard that record like that before. Just sort of I heard it with new ears now. So that happens all the time love that when that happens
0: it's really cool isn't it yeah um great do you in terms of when you guys got started and um i also wonder you know when translator picked it back up again um did you see your band with fresh eyes
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: um
1: we picked back up again twice, you know, once in about 93. Right. We had stopped about 87 or 76, 87. And then um, in 93, you know, then I moved to LA, then I moved back to San Francisco, and we we put it all back together in 93 for about five years. And then um, we back together again. You know, now it's sort of an ongoing thing. Um, and... Two things happened. One was, I wasn't, from my point, from for me, I mean, everyone approaches it their own way. I wasn't playing through a 100-watt Marshall anymore. And, um, I was playing through my Deluxe Reverb. So it was not as loud, which I think was crucial and, and all for the good. And, um, it was more, um, we were listening in a different way to each other. I, I love the way we've sounded as a trio. I liked how we sounded in the really early days of a four piece and all the, I, all the way through. I and mean, it was always different than evolving. And when we got back together, um, I think the change in volume was a, was a big part of it in, in a good way. We didn't, we didn't feel we had to be really super loud to, to get the point across. And um, I think that was better because then when you get loud, it,
0: it, more effective and you guys all get along really well oh yeah yeah like brothers that's cool that's cool to hear was there a, a real community back then because I know that you know four one five records um, you know that was four one five that was San Francisco was there was there a kind of um, a confederacy with bands like wire train or like with local outfits
1: there really was yes um, There was probably a healthy competition but There was also, I remember doing many, many shows with Romeo Void and Wire Train. Yeah. Um, And um, they were always a blast to do. And it was like old home week, you know, especially we'd be on the road, we played together, great. And within San Francisco, you know, everyone knew everyone else. And um, I was always very shy, I still sort of am. So I wasn't sort of. With other bands, a lot, you know. I know that Dave Sheff, our drummer, would, would play drums sometimes with other people, and Larry would play bass, and Bob was sitting with people. And I, I was I was uh, kind of too shy to do that, and um, but those opportunities were certainly there to to uh, you know do whatever you wanted to do. And uh, it did feel like a big um, community. It was. We're talking like nineteen. 81 through like 86 it was, it was, it was really, really amazing. And you know people now the eighties has been um, to a lot of people kind of uh, boiled down to, um, you know, pink and black checkered walls and big shoulder pads and uh, you know, crazy flock of seagulls, haircuts and synthesizers. But it was never that for, you know, for me or for my friends, you know, it was we were we were looking for soulful rock and roll music.
0: You know, that, that's what we were looking for. How did the um, the competition? You know, feeling a little competitive. I know the guy from Wiretrain Train was ridiculously talented. Uh, Ke- was it Kevin? Kevin.
1: Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, I mean, I imagine having that guy around uh, was good because it probably it probably made you. Uh, step up your game.
1: Oh, absolutely. He was almost as talented as me. You know, so it was, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, you know, and the guitar player in wire train was uh, Jeff Trott, who, yeah. uh who is a friend of mine to this day and, you know, became a great songwriter with, with Sheryl Crow. And, um, uh, it was, I remember hearing, um, we've done a bunch of shows with Romeo Void, and the first time I heard, um, who can it be now by, uh, men at work, we were on tour somewhere, me and the translator was on tour and that song came on and I thought it was a new Romeo Void song. So, oh, oh, what's this? Cause you know, the, the, you know, the dance beat came in and then the saxophone, I thought was Ben playing sax. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I thought, Whoa. The Romeloid, they've influenced some other band. This is so cool. I don't know if, if Men at Work existed before they heard Romeo Lloyd records. You know, I, I don't really know their, their story, but it was cool. It made me feel really kind of proud of. Wow, that's a, that's our little community. Look what we've done. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Well,
0: what even cooler is that Men at Work were from Australia, and so which it meant that yeah. that little community had the tendrils had reached literally across the world. Um, yeah. And so I know Translator, um, maybe
1: they came, maybe they came to that sound independently, but it was really cool to have that moment of, you know, wow, this could be a uh, Romeo Void influence thing. That's
0: cool. Were you surprised that Translator had a fan base overseas? Was that pretty, was that pretty surprising? And was that pretty cool?
1: I oh, thought it was cool. We never went there and played.
0: I know you guys oh, had a, I know was... the in, in the UK, I think you guys, uh, were pretty pretty cherished, but you never actually went over there and played.
1: No, we wanted to keep the mystique up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you find that you're competitive now? I mean you sound like you're a real student of music. You listen to Nick Cave, you listen I mean you seem like you're really up on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh do you and I know you're a connoisseur of it, but do you also find that you're still competitive in a, in a healthy way? I don't mean that in a negative way.
1: I do. Yeah. I do. I mean I um, you know, I want to write songs that people want to hear and like, and I want people to like me, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I won't do the auto tune, you know, but, uh, um, no, you know, I want people to like me and, and, uh, I do listen to, to current stuff. I, I will admit, you know, I might watch Saturday Night Live sometime and go, I don't know who, Watch some act that's clearly very popular that I've never even heard of, but that's that's fine. Um, uh, you know, it's nice to be surprised with, with new things. You know, it doesn't really. There there are people right now who are hearing you know, the Beatles for the first time, so everything's always new. So at some point, you know, first time you hear something is always the first time you hear it. You know,
0: <laughs> has anyone uh, recently knocked you out pretty pretty hard and really impressed you?
1: I mean I like I'm a big fan of Brandy Carlisle. I like her a lot. Yeah. And I really like uh the single for for her upcoming album. I think it's, it's called um, I forget what it's called The Moment, but I really like the way that sounds. Um and you know, I hear all sorts of things that I like um We've mentioned Nick Cave. I like him a lot. I like PJ Harvey. Um, and then I'll, I'll hear bands that Mrs. Banner heard the other day. Um, I can't think of the time. They my this. I'm almost thinking like an old Motown group. But it is this, and it's like, this? It some new band. There's. So I think there's. I like when there's, you know, new young bands getting. In their take on, on like on the old classics so oh, I like
0: that and, so and
1: that kind of sounds like uh, like a like a Motown review Yeah, like oh, cool that they would even think to do that
0: yeah like an Alabama Shakes or, or St. Paul and the Broken Bones right, right? these sort of like uh, yeah. these soulful bands yeah um, not to sound like your financial analyst but how do you make money in 2018 in the music business because I know the model is different than it was in 1982 <laughs> um how do you how do you do it? How does one do it?
1: Uh,
0: <clears throat> uh,
1: <clears throat> sorry, I don't know if it's um, psychological, but I started choking <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Sorry about that, Steve. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't know if you find out. Let me know. <clears throat> no, I no, I think. Uh, I mean, there are you know, there's licensing the songs and stuff like that, but there's um have people ever made much money? Is it really any different now that the artist is getting screwed over? They always have, you know, so some things have never changed. Um, But there are a lot of opportunities now, but, you know, I, I, you know, I don't really know. I think it's different for everybody. You know, somebody might get, wow, I have a song that's, uh," in fact, I know a friend who, know someone who wrote a song for a, an HBO show that was actually used as a theme. I don't want to say what the show was. And um, it changed the guy's life overnight. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, that's unusual. You know, I think really the day-to-day is, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. But it's got to be something, like, to, to young people out there who were thinking, they want to be in a band, or they want to write songs, or whatever. It, it's not, you know, the easiest life in the world. But if you, it, something you better do because you have to do it in your soul. You know, you'll just die. That's what happened to me when I was about nine. It was like, whoa, oh, I have to do this. Um, then you just, you just have to, and
0: just figure out a way to do it. It's funny. I listen to your new albums and i think like i could pull three or four songs off each one and i could place them if i were in charge of such things i could place them on shows i could place them in commercials um y- your stuff seems like it could be really it's very accessible and i wonder are those avenues that you that you explore
1: yeah absolutely yes yeah and the nuts and bolts, you know I do have a publisher who you know pushes all that stuff i know a lot of music super- you know all that all that sort of inside baseball stuff um but um, but yeah that's you have to explore that you know now and I, and I want to and i do think that this record there's so much being a triple record set there's it's so diverse and you know one like I said you know the one record i the one that's sort of a, i call it album two uh it's it's all very slow and quiet i wanted to make a record that you could just of it you could put on while people are having dinner. It's just, it could be on in the background, it's not like suddenly there's some, you know, now there's the loud abrasive, oh my god, this is a hit, right? You know, song. <laughs> you know, just, you know, every, everything just stays at this place. I like it, you know, I've always wanted to do a record like that. I've never quite had the balls to do it, to just sort of, well, it never it just, it starts here. It starts with a song called Breath, which is like a almost in a whisper it just stays there for the whole that whole album and I that to me was really important that's an important part of what I do now especially and so I didn't want to another reason why I ended up being three records is that I had, <clears throat> had all these songs were, well, I don't want to put only all the one quiet song in here to break up the rock and roll songs like, I like all these oh shit oh oh I'm gonna, this sounds like an album and so it all sort of just sort of became this big package. Um, but yeah, I think there's stuff that, you know, could certainly, I could hear in film and TV um, easily, several songs.
0: And also...
1: There are a couple of cover songs. They don't have to be the cover songs. So right. I'll take, you know, I'll take all the them out.
0: Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, as your financial analyst, I have to say that's a good move. Um, the uh, And what about the idea for writing for other people too? Is, is that something, um, you're such a prolific songwriter and you're so great. Have you thought about you know bringing songs to people like Brandy Carlisle? or? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I've um, like I mentioned this song called uh, "Tearing Out the Roses." I think a number of people could, could sing that song, um, but yes, and I have co-written songs with uh, with, with um, several people, and that's something I'll continue to do. That's I I, I love doing that. I like collaboration, because then then like, oh, we're going to be B-flat there. Oh, interesting. You know, it, it's like it opens your head up to a whole other world of possibilities because somebody else has an idea about where the song should go. Um, mind you, I'm, I, I like writing by myself, too. And it is a, a, a lonely, you know, occupation. Um, but, um, yeah, I do write with people sometimes, and I do like that. And, yeah, anyone listening who wants to cover one of my songs –
0: feel free <laughs> and i know you know it's <laughs> funny i learned or you know in my 20s i learned that you know larry david has more money than jerry seinfeld because the writer you know the writer of the shows um the writer of the songs um you know britney spears did pretty well but the people who wrote her songs did much better and um so you know I, in in absolutely. publishing right there that's where that's where the money is
1: yeah you know, unless they sign some horrible publishing deal where they send all their publishing away, but that doesn't happen so much anymore. That's more that's more an old story from like some poor guy from the 1950s who's like, sign here, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so <laughs> you know, Now people are a lot more savvy, you know? And so it, it is true. Now on some of these songs, like some Britney Spears songs or Taylor Swift songs, well, she, she writes a lot of her own stuff, but she might not be a good example. But you'll, you know, You'll find you know four or five or six seven writers on a song, and then it starts to get to be a little, you know, I don't even know how to how how to do that. I, I guess I, I don't know how how that many people write a song, but I, I I'm open to anything. You know, how do I know what it takes? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, what are your? I know you don't plan, uh, but you're already working on the next record. Um, and, and, it's really exciting. I'm such a big fan of yours. It's so great that you're in such a huge prolific period. Um, you, yeah. your, your fans get to feast on a lot of, a lot of work. Um, so you are working on the next cycle of songs. Yes.
1: And it, you know, right before this record came out too, uh, a record came out kind of purposely under the radar called, um,
0: new, uh,
1: you know, new blue world. It was a, a one-off duo record with me and Dave Sheff, the translator drummer. Um, that we put out sort of through my website and you know you can buy the CD through CD baby kind of thing. Um, and it's a really good record, a 10 song record of all my songs. Um, and that came because the triple record was done and mastered and I was just waiting for, you know, manufacturing and it wasn't going to come out till March. But I'd written a bunch of songs like I do. And I played a couple for Dave and he said, oh, can I put drums on these? And so one thing led to another and,
0: that album happened, and that's
1: a record, a good record to seek out if you haven't heard of it. It's really cool.
0: Where is a place that people can get that? What, what's the the web address? You go to you can
1: you can find it all at stevebartonmusic.com, dot com. Is my website, and that has links to you can download it or stream it, or it sends you off to buy the CD if you want.
0: Dude, I'm so excited to chat with you. I mean, I, I've been a fan for for 30 years, and so it's you're one of those guys oh, I've always you wanted so to much. talk to. Too,
1: so, oh, and I'm probably gonna think of a million things I should have said or wish I would have said. So, I do. Well, then you know. then
0: come back on the show. We'll do it again. What a great chat with Mr. Barton. We will have him back on. We'll get some stories from him about Translator about writing songs, about the uh, debauchery of the 80s. It'll be fun to have that guy back on. He was great. Uh, Now, if you're interested in Steve Barton's music, go to stevebartonmusic.com. It's that simple, and that's all you need. Uh, If you're interested in Bombshell Radio, bombshellradio.com. It's that simple, too. And if you want to know more about me, all you have to do is head over to alexgreenonline.com, and everything you always wanted to know and probably a lot more is there. Now, if you find yourself on iTunes, I know some of you do, and you're feeling a bit subscribe well, subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast, and while you're there, subscribe to Bombshell Radio. An impressive feat to subscribe to two podcasts in, uh, in one fell swoop. I don't know if I put it on my LinkedIn profile, but uh, I still think it's an impressive thing to have done. And if you feel like you'd like to leave a comment... Or two, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but say something like, uh, oh, I don't know, Alex Green's podcast changed my life. The the tears that came down my face knowing that I was a new enlightened being just for one hour of listening to this show. Um, I'm going to call this a religious experience. Something like that. I don't know. Something along those lines. If you feel uh, you'd like to write that, go ahead and write it. I'm sure not going to stop you. Uh, I am Alex Green. Some great shows are coming up here on the Stereo Embers, the podcast. Some really good ones, uh, the Fratellis, James Williamson from the Stooges, Petra Hayden. Uh, Who else do we have? Oh, Daniel Ash from Love and Rockets, Roger Manning Jr. from Jellyfish. We're not messing around. But who are we kidding? We'd be nothing if it wasn't for you. So thank you again for being a listener of this show. So have a great week. And I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.